0: are arriving mid-January, and uh, then I believe Mark's intention is to start work on the 1st of February, Um, and then on the 3rd of February, which is the Thursday evening uh, on, yeah, it's the 3rd, uh, at 7.30, the presbytery is going to hold the induction service for Mark, uh, and that will be at the Hellenic Centre, Uh, so familiar territory for us. And uh, it would be great, of course, if as many as possible uh, of you can come and be there that night. It's going to be a great, uh, joyous celebration, but a really powerful time, I believe, as we uh, in the Lord induct Mark uh, into uh, the the service of this church, you know, for many years to come. And uh, I I'll, I'll, I'll think we'll do supper and all of that, but I'll let someone like, Libby probably follow up on all those mechanics. But if you can get that into your diary now, 3rd of February 7.30 at the Hellenic Centre. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look uh, again at this book of James, Father, we pray that you would comfort us and strengthen us. These are really uncertain times in the world and in Australia and here in Tasmania and uh, Lord we need you, we always need you. Father may today the passage challenge us but in a good way that also brings to us comfort and strength as we see how much you are involved in our life and that we really need to trust you. So, Father, we commit our ways to you now for your glory and honour. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, Some time ago, I was heading uh, up the Midlands Highway to do uh, some visitation in the Campbelltown area. Uh, If you are new here, I work with Presbyterian Inland Mission and we work out in the rural areas. Um, And uh, as I... Always do when I go out, I was praying, Lord, may you have your way today. May it be your plans. May you do the very things that you want to uh, have take place. And, and, you know, praying along that kind of uh, line. Uh, But also as well as that, obviously you need a bit of a plan. Uh, It's no good arriving at Campbelltown, parking the car, you know, next to some paddocks and wondering what on earth you're going to do. You've got to have a plan. So I had in my mind some people I was going to see, uh, people who I already knew that I was reaching out to. And uh, so I drove onto the first property and lo and behold, the people weren't there. Now that's not unusual, that often happens. People might be off the farm, they might be out working on the farm. Some of the farms are huge and you look around, you haven't got a clue where they might be. Um, So it's not unusual. and, and, and uh, often you just have to change your plans. And uh, you might wonder, oh, why don't I make appointments? Um, it's a little bit different in the country, especially when you're reaching out to unbelievers. It's not like here in town where you, you, know, you get someone, they come in and to the office for an hour and everyone's on city time. You know, we, we know all oh, yeah, we've got an hour. It's a bit different when you're out there in the bush. And if you make too many appointments, you just get bound up and it just doesn't tend to work. So anyway, um, there I was and, and the people went home and you know what happened in myself, I got really disgruntled and, and I thought, oh, that's terrible and I thought, there go all my plans, you know, it's all got messed up and so I drove about the kilometre it is from the farmhouse back out onto the, the public road and there I was, Mr Misery, you know, driving on, oh, what am I going to do now, you know. And, and then I, I think what happened is it's a bit like the Holy Spirit just sort of went, Hey, you remember what did you pray this morning? And I remembered, Oh, oh you know, here I am, all the misery. And I'd and prayed that God would have his way, it would be his plans and purposes that day. So I got out to the road and I, I parked the car and I prayed and I said, Oh, Lord, how do you want me now to arrange the day? And there's some other people that I have visited uh, two or three times before but haven't really got anywhere with them. But it's like uh, I just thought, okay, I need to go over there. So it's about 10 minutes drive and over I went. And when I got there, um, the husband and wife were, were about five minutes from having morning tea on their front porch. And we got talking and they invited me for morning tea. And I think I was there probably for about a couple of hours. We just talked and talked and talked. And then the husband took me with the dogs and we walked all around the the farmlands and we talked and talked and talked. And then we came back and as we got back, the the wife came down the path and they're originally from England. And she said to me, I've always wanted to say this. And she said, would you like another cup of tea, Vicar? So so anyway, after another cup of tea and more cakes and more talking, um, you know, but do you know what I realised that day, and you've probably had this happen, sometimes you just know that God arranged it to happen and I knew that day And, and so I got all disgruntled, even though I'd prayed that God would have his way. Uh, and I got disgruntled and God had his way and he made it just the most incredible visit. And since then, I've got this brilliant relationship with these people. They are avowed atheists. And, and uh, yet, I just love them. I pray for them. Um, and and uh, if you've got time for, for a minute of prayer here and there, please pray for them. Uh, but, but it was God arranged. And that's what James is talking about here. He's talking about the fact that as believers, because James, the book of James is written to believers like us, that God is involved in our plans and he should be involved in our plans as far as we outwork our Christian life. So in um, verse 13, now listen you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. So James uses the example of the business person or the merchant or the trader of that time who plans to be at their destination for a year and to make money. Now, the verse, though, is quite broad in its scope and most Bible commentators agree that it's really relevant to any Christian in that process of their decision-making. So the passage is very relevant to us uh, here today. So in verse 14, James says, Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We can be so arrogant when we say, what we might be doing or what we will be doing tomorrow when we don't refer to God in our plans because James is saying we don't even know what is going to happen tomorrow. We're a mist. We're here for a little while and then we are gone, just like a mist. For many years I lived in Launceston and I worked in the city centre and so you're right down in the, in the valley, on the valley floor in Launceston, and if you're familiar with Lonnie, uh, it just gets terrible fogs, and uh, it, it's just dark in there and all you know you can feel the water vapor and so on. And often if it's a really bad fog, it might stay around till 11:30 or, or, or midday. And a few times I've been out of getting a few nods of awareness) <laughs> Uh, I've been out on, on a couple of occasions out walking in the city centre and you walk in, there's just horrible gloom and then you look up and, and, and all of a sudden there's a patch of blue and then in 30 seconds the fog's just gone and there you are, know, deep blue sky, the sun's out the most glorious of days but the fog's there Few seconds later, it just goes. It's it's incredible. I don't know the science behind it. Some of you might, but it's quite incredible. And James is saying that's what our life is like. You know, it's a bit like you've got the mist on the on the bathroom mirror, and you open up a window, and a few seconds later, the mist is just gone. Or on the windscreen of your car, and you put on the demisters, and you can just see the, the mist vanish up the windscreen. And James is saying that's what our life is like. We're here, but so quickly we uh, are gone. And, And that's what happens in the course of history. And yet, even though we come and we go, we tend to think, and I'm talking generally now about people, we tend to think that we are at the centre of the universe. It's like all life revolves around us. And we can plan whatever we like. But James is saying that we shouldn't be so arrogant as to plan out our life without reference to God and his plans. What is your life, he says. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. The British evangelist Rico Tice once asked an audience to raise their hands if they knew their great-grandfather's first name. Very few hands went up from a group of several hundred. Our great-grandfathers were around not many decades ago, yet already they are largely forgotten and unknown, even by their family. The world moves on so quickly, And yet, we tend to become arrogant and think that we can control our life. But we don't know even what will happen tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow we could be involved in a car accident and be seriously injured or even killed. I'm not hoping that will happen, of course, and it probably won't. But it's possible Tomorrow we might become ill and the plans that we've got in place might change. There might be a change in the workplace. We might get to work tomorrow and the boss, you know, changes things. It might be for good or it might be for bad according to our perspective, but things might change. It might be that you're in school. And you go and tomorrow there might be the school assembly for the week. And you're thinking your week's going to go a certain way and the principal makes these big changes. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And it should give us a certain amount of humility in our life. And that's what James is saying. He's saying don't be so arrogant as to plan out your life without God because we just don't know what will happen. Last year, probably middle of the year, June or so, I had no idea that I would be interim moderator of Cornerstone, no idea. Um, I just thought Campbell, Markham and Cornerstone were synonymous words. You know, that's all I've known since I've come to Hobart. Um, And then I hear, oh, Campbell's going. And then, then, you know, a little bit later, oh, you're interim moderator. And uh, I did have to say yes, but... <laughs> and, uh, and, and you've been pretty good to me, so thank you. <laughs> and, and so, for a time, I've been uh, intertwined or interwoven into the life of Cornerstone. It's a limited role. interim moderators always, it's a limited role. But nonetheless, um, it, it just for a while, there's been that... And I didn't know, didn't expect that my lo- this year would look the way it has. In January last year, two thousand and twenty, we were up in Brisbane on holiday, and we we just started to hear this COVID business come about on the news, and uh, I think it was competing at that time to make headlines with you know Harry and Meghan, and their split from the royal family and moving to the US. So I think that was probably bigger news at that time, um, but but. And, and we just didn't even realise what was going to transpire, that our lives would just be so hugely affected and, and, uh, and Cornerstone and, and, and Tasmania and Australia and the whole world with, with all everything that surrounds COVID. We had no idea. And, and I'd say, you know, all of us were the same. We just didn't know what was coming. People save up for their retirement. And they, they, they super, you know, they watch it creep up or it might be their personal investments and they plan, okay, on this date we're going to retire, we're going to do a world trip or do the big lap, you know, around Australia or something like that. And then there's a stock market crash and oh, dear, they look at the, you know, super's gone down or the, the shares have gone down. And, and then I know people and that's happened to them and they've had to stay working for another few years to build up their funds again. One day you've got planned to retire, go on holiday, the next minute it's all over, it all changes. I remember going down uh, when the Huon Valley fires were on and visiting some people in Huonville. And and there were people there who, you know, one minute their life's normal and they're just on their Huon Valley properties and then, uh, of course, they, they wake up and suddenly there's a fire. And then a few days later, they find themselves not in their house, but they're living in a tent at the Huonville showgrounds. They didn't have a clue that was going to happen. Um, A few years back, we uh, left Tasmania to go to Brisbane, and uh, it needed to happen. I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but it was important in God that it happened. We were there for two years, but when we set off, Catherine and myself, we thought we're going uh, over there to work and I'll retire there and we'll get old there and might go to an old age home. We'll die there and get buried there in Brisbane, you know, our new homeland. Uh, That that was our plan. Two years later, I'm back in Tasmania because when we got there, uh, it became apparent very quickly that God had different plans. It was necessary that we went. That was right in God. We didn't miss that. But, but our thinking, oh, you know, here's me in arrogance saying, oh, I'm going to be there, this is going to happen and that's going to happen. And I had it all pictured in my mind. God had it pictured all differently. And, but we don't know, you see. We, we just don't know what tomorrow uh, holds. Things can just work out so differently. And it should give to us a certain amount, in fact, a huge amount of humility. We just can't be arrogant about the future and do our planning without God. Now, can I just throw in a couple of things about... Um, it's not where, where James is tracking in this, but I just think it's important to throw in a couple of things here to talk about the fact that because of this, though, we need to trust God with our life because we don't know but God does, so we need to trust God with our life. And I'll just tell you a little personal story. Um... And uh, going back oh, some years again, and, and it's, I, I won't bore you with the details, but we felt we were living in Launceston and we felt we should buy a block in Hobart and, and ultimately build a house there. And uh, so we ended up looking at this block in Acton Park. And this is going way back before it was, you know, like the market's crazy now. And you actually had days and weeks to look at a block or months, not, not like now where you've got minutes um, and, uh, anyway, so we're looking at a block and, and we, we came down and looked at it and a couple of weeks, we came down again on a Saturday to have a look at it and we walked on the block, it's an internal block and lo and behold, there's pegs um, because someone's marking out to a house to build and we realised, we thought, oh, the real estate agent hasn't told us that it's actually sold. Um, anyway, we were really disappointed. Um, and, and then, um, About five years later, we had to buy a house in Hobart. And so we were looking at all different areas and we were working with a real estate agent and she rang up and said, hey, I've got a house, these people, I think they're going to sell it, so let's have a look. And lo and behold, it was that street. And we thought, oh, no, it couldn't be. And we drive up and, and it was that house. And we ended up buying it. It was a miracle how it happened, too. We were the only buyers, and we think we got it for a bargain. Don't tell the vendors, the sellers. <laughs> um, but you know what happened years before when we were on that block, and we were all disappointed, thinking, oh, it's sold, You know, we've missed out. I wonder whether God was there chuckling to himself, <laughs> saying, hey, I, I have actually bought this block for you guys. And I'm just putting someone here and they're going to build your house (laughs) and they're going to look after it for a few years and then when my time is right, when my time is right, according to what I know, then you will have this house. And we couldn't have done it as well as God had it planned. But you see, we need to trust God with our life because he knows things we don't know. And sometimes when we are feeling miserable and downcast and think like we've been treated badly or we've missed out, God has his plans for us. And that's why we need to put our faith and our trust in him. Now, can I go to a very controversial subject? On December the 15th, the borders are going to open. And we don't know what's going to happen. We really don't know how that is going to look. Everyone's talking about it. Not just here at Cornerstone, but everybody, everywhere I go, everybody's talking about what's that going to look like. We don't actually know. We can think it might go this way, it might go that way, it might. We just don't know. God knows. God knows exactly And and so I can't tell you any great wondrous things other than this, that we need to be putting our faith and our trust in the Lord. We need to be hanging so closely with God at this time and just putting our lives into his hands and seeking him and and just finding strength from him um, because God knows and he cares for us and he loves us. We are his children. Parents, you know how much you love your children you do anything for them. You look after them. God is our father. He looks after us. Friends, he has got our life in his hands. We don't know. We really just don't know. But God knows. So let us come humbly before him and throw ourselves upon him and trust him. Verse 15, James says instead you ought to say if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Wow, James actually says if it is the Lord's will, we will live because our very life is dependent upon God. God for each one of us, he knows when we're going to depart from this world, we don't. But on top of that, Our very existence is dependent upon God. Hebrews 1.3 says, Jesus sustains all things by his powerful word. Our very life is dependent upon God. If Jesus withdrew his, his word, I don't know exactly how it would happen, but this whole universe could just disintegrate. God created it, it's his creation and he sustains it, he knits it together, he holds it together and if he withdrew that, it could just all be gone, just like that. Friends, what does that do? It makes us humble before the Lord and and it makes us dependent uh, upon God. Verse 15 again, Instead you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Now, planning isn't wrong. God doesn't expect us just to waft around seeing what will happen. We've got a plan. Uh, otherwise, you know, our life would just be in total disarray. So planning isn't wrong, but in our planning, we need to have God. If we plan without God, that's arrogant and that's sinful. That, that's wrong. And... The thing, though, is, um, you know, often we say, oh, if it is the Lord's will. And I say that sometimes, you know, I'll come and if it's the Lord's will. We've got to make sure that when we say we mean that, uh, that it's not just a throwaway line, you know, it's not just a nice thing to say. Um, It's a bit like, um, you know, how churches that recite the Lord's Prayer every week and they say it so quickly, you just know they're not paying any attention to what it actually means, they're just saying it, um, a week ago, I had to take a 200-year um, family reunion at Kirkland's at Little Church near Campbelltown. And uh, in, in it, we had the Lord's Prayer. And uh, and I knew this would happen. Oh, by the way, look, it was a great service. We had a ball, lovely family, everything. it was really good. But I knew when we got to the Lord's Prayer, it was on their program, you know, and, and, and I had it there. And, uh, and I was going to lead it and I thought they're going to go, absolutely, they're going to tear away at top speed and, and, and it will mean nothing. You know, just let's get this prayer over with and, and not think about what it actually means. So I'm there trying to read it and I'm deliberately trying to slow everything down. But these people there and they were just tearing away and tearing away and I couldn't hold them back. And in the end, I had to just go flat out like they did because otherwise I would have been halfway through the prayer and they would have been finished. But friends, they were just saying it. They didn't believe it. It was just something like this read so quickly. You know, let's just get this done. Or, you know, mealtime when, when people used to recite grace and, and they'd say, um, come Lord Jesus, be our guest and let these gifts to us be blessed. Amen. And and I've been in families that have done that, you know. And you just think, they don't even mean what they're saying. (laughs) You know, it's just this line that they recite. And there's just nothing in it. There's no thoughtful prayer to the Lord about the day or or really giving thanks. In the same way, we shouldn't just say this as a throwaway line. I think it's the Lord's will. It actually means a whole lot. And it's fine to say it. But we need to just really believe it. We need to uh, really mean it. So what does this mean, though, in our life? How does it look? Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Well, it means, um, it probably means a whole lot of things. I'm going to give three things that I think it means in practice in our life. Firstly, it means an acknowledgement and humble trust in God's plan for our life. So in our life, we need to have a, a God consciousness, a, a God awareness, uh, an intimate relationship with the Lord. Secondly, we need to genuinely be seeking God's will. So you know verse 13 where James talks about the merchant Um, who decides, oh, we're going to this place, we're going to live there for a year, we're going to make money. How does that look actually for a Christian merchant or for one of us if we're going? Well, first of all, we would say to God, God, I'm doing business, where do you want me to go? And then, God, how long do you want me to be there? And then when I'm there, what do you want me to do with the money that I make? And God, is there anything else that you want me to do when I'm there to serve you? See how that's a vastly different thing from just planning to do whatever you want to do and including God. And we need to include God in our decision making. We need to seek uh, his will. So if we're at school, um, you know, if, if you're at school and you're a believer... Uh, seek God, ask God, God, what do you want me to do at school today? How can I serve you? Um, If you're at university, the same thing, or in the workplace, or with your friends, or with your extended family, Lord, what do you want me to do in the settings uh, in which I find myself in? It's a bit like the attitude uh, that Jesus modelled in the Garden of Gethsemane where he said to the Father, yet not what I will, but what you will. So our attitude in life should be, hey, God, it's not just about what I'm thinking, but what do you want for my life? How do you want my life to actually look? And then this uh, third one, it's really similar. It flows from that, but, but planning with God in mind. So is God with us when we write in our diary? You know, we say that Jesus is Lord of our life. Is Jesus Lord of our diary? Now, I don't mean that, you know, sometimes you're writing, you're at work and you're writing things quickly in your diary. I don't mean every time you put a diary entry in, we have to have a prayer meeting. You know, we we think, oh, wait a minute, I can't write this in, let me pray, you know, I'll come at you in half an hour. God doesn't, you know, we've got to live, life's got to go on. But but the general, you know, how does our diary look? Does God actually figure in our diary? Does God figure in, 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 in how we're living our life, how much we serve in church, how we serve him out in the community, um, you know, how we spend our time? Does God figure in how our diary looks? Is it all about me, 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 me? Or, or is it about, hey, what does God want for my time to look like? So, in that sense, God needs to be uh, the Lord of our diary, especially in big things. When we're moving house, or we might be moving jobs, or if we move church, and I hope that doesn't happen very often, but if we do, may it be God's will and not just our own. Um, it, when we're seeking a partner for life, you know, it's huge. Uh, and uh, and we need to be seeking God. Our service in church, our service in the community, all of that, it all needs to be done just in praying uh, to the Lord. James goes on in verse 16, as it is you boast in your arrogant schemes, all such boasting is evil. So if we leave God out of our planning, we are in essence boasting about being master of our universe and in control of of our life and this arrogant boasting is evil if we as believers just boast i'm going to do this i'm going to do that but god's not in the equation that's actually sinful for for us to do our boasting should always be in the lord and james goes on says a bit of a funny verse here he says if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it it is sin for them. You see, the good we ought to be doing is to seek God for our life. And if we know this, but we plan without God, then we're being sinful. We're being arrogant. Um, in, in a church I was pastoring, oh, it's a long time ago, there was a lady in the church, a Christian lady, and uh, she came and told us that she was going to go off for a year and spend time in this little village uh, in Tassie um, for a year. And, and I won't go into the story of why. And then she would come back. We just, the people who knew her better than myself, we just had alarm bells ringing. And we just thought, oh, we don't think this is of God. And uh, we spoke with her many times. We warned her and, 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 you know, cautioned her and all that. Because the problem is where she was going, There's no church. She'd probably no Christians, quite possibly. And we just thought this is going to be really, really bad for her. Anyway, she didn't listen, just said, "Nope, I'm going. She didn't need to go, but she said, no, I'm going. Off for this year um, to take up this opportunity. And uh, friends, of course, she came back and she'd fallen away from the Lord. And as much as we tried, we couldn't get her back. But then some years later... I got a call. Would I go in and see her? She's at the hospice, and she's probably, you know, two or three days away from dying. So I went in to, to see this lady, and she could not, she couldn't talk to me because she was so close to, to passing away. Um, oh, but friend, she had terror in her eyes. She was terrified. And and, and I believe because she, I, I don't know, I couldn't talk to her, but I would imagine she'd walked away from the Lord. Somehow she couldn't get that relationship back together again, but she somehow knew or, and, and probably thought, oh, what's going to happen to me? And I, I don't know what was going on in her mind, but there was sheer terror about dying. And I don't think it was about the actual physical act of dying. It was what's going to happen to me. Friends, I, I, I went through the gospel over and over. I read scripture to her. I even sang songs to her. You know, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. You've got to be desperate for me to sing to you, you know. <laughs> um, I, I just, but, but the terror wouldn't leave her. And every time I tried to go, she'd grab my hand. She'd grab me like this, wouldn't let me go. Look, eventually I had to go. Oh, look, it almost overwhelms me now thinking about it. Because I had to leave that poor lady I just knew she was in abject terror. And anyway, about a day later I heard the news that she'd passed on. I've got no idea what happened. But you see, friends, there was counsel to her, don't go, don't go, don't go. And against all that godly counsel she went. And it wasn't necessary that she went, but she went. You see, I think what James is getting at here is um, if, if, if we make plans, we've got to do it with the Lord. We can't just go off and do our own thing. You know, and, and if the godly council is there, you know, who care for you and they love you and they're they saying, hey, we don't think this is God, you know, we've got to listen to that. Once you cut God out of your planning, we're in danger, massive, huge uh, danger. Now, can I just flip it around now to say something else? And again, this isn't here, but I need to add it in. Maybe now, because of what I've said this morning, you know, there might be people thinking, oh, dear, oh, no, am I in God's will? Oh, dear, oh, dear, you know? And, and you're there like you're, you become a nervous wreck. That's not what James is saying. He doesn't want us to become a nervous wreck thinking, oh, am I, am I in God's will? Oh, no, you know, have I been listening to him? He, he's not saying that. You know, if you're here this morning... Rest assured that you're probably quite in God's will. I'm sure God actually wants you here this morning. And and what James is saying is pray, seek God, have God in your plans, have an intimate relationship with him, and then you've just got to go and plan. You've got to write in your diary and you just trust that God's leading you. And probably, mostly, we're walking in God's will. God actually wants us to spend most of our days in peace, in joy, rejoicing with him, serving him. And that brings challenges, sure. But, but mostly God wants us to be like that. He doesn't want us to be nervous wreck thinking, oh, every minute, oh, I'm out of God's will. Oh, am I in God's will? You know, no, that's not what James is saying here. Um, We might get in that situation if we ignore God. But as long as we include God in our life as best as we can, then be at peace, rejoice in the Lord, serve him, and and just go and and just get on with the job and trust that God is there guiding our life. Now, James is addressing um, believers Um, But there is a message in this for unbelievers as well. Um, Because so many people plan their life and they plan their death and they plan whatever comes after their death with absolutely no reference to God whatsoever. So people will believe all kinds of different things and and some people will say, well, once we die, it's just nothingness. We cease to exist. It's like going to sleep. Just don't wake up again. That's fine, they say. Others say, well, if there is a God of some sort, well, I reckon I'll be good enough to be with him or if there is this heaven thing, you know, I reckon I'm good enough. I'll, I'll make it. And then other people say ridiculous things like, oh, well, if there's heaven and hell and I go to hell, that'll be fine. It'll be this drunken sex party or something and we'll have a ball. You know, people say ridiculous things. Um, But what amazes me is the absolute arrogance that people have about their death and what comes after. And because I'm out there, you know, with people, and you, you'd find this too, you're talking to unbelievers and so on, it, it just amazes me how people, um, you know, they might plan for their retirement, they, they might make all kinds of intricate plans, but about death, oh, she'll be right. I'll make it. I'm okay. And I'm there listening her and thinking, well, oh, I hope you're all right. I'm not so sure, you know. But it's just the arrogance that we have that about, about what comes later. Friends, what James is saying here is all people, Christian or unbeliever, we don't have a clue what's going to happen tomorrow. How are we ever going to have any idea what actually happens after we die? And if you leave God out of that, wow. That's um, just, well, it's scary. And, and the problem is God's been taken out of the equation of so many people. Because of science, people don't need a creator or a sustainer. And what about the inner self? We don't need God because we've got psychology. We've got human reason. Our human intellect, our human reason is going to figure it all out. And God just comes right out of the equation And people are hurtling through time and space to their destruction, to an eternity without God because that's how they are living their life and that's a terrible thing. Can I conclude with something that is not in the passage? But I just want to really quickly, in a couple of minutes, go through the Christian message that includes God. It's the biblical message and probably most of you have already known this and have lived like this for a long time. But I just felt to do it today. And I think it's always good to share it, even if we know it so well. It's something we should be praying through for other people all the time. God loves us and he wants us to know him and to experience the peace and life that he offers. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now the problem is we are separated from God because of sin. We're all sinful. The Bible says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God is holy but we are human and we don't measure up to his perfect standard, to his perfection. And because we are sinful, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. God is just and he will not let sin go unpunished. In the same way that we expect society to punish the criminal, to God we are all like criminals because his standard is so high so holy, so righteous, and and none of us can meet it. And our sin is abhorrent uh, to God. People might say, oh, I'm okay. I don't, you know, I'm a a pretty good, upstanding citizen in life. Well, friends, imagine if we uh, took our every thought, our every action, our every word for all of our life and we wrote it down in one of those journals. So everything about us, everything, is, is in that journal and one day we lose it in the Elizabeth Street Mall and a movie producer comes along and picks up and thinks, this is amazing, I'm going to do a movie. And, and, and you know how well they make movies. And I'm going to portray this person's life. Friends, if that was our journal, oh, that's the most horrific thing I reckon that could happen. Because when it really comes down, to it, we actually realise we're pretty sinful, aren't we? We're full of selfishness. Often we can be angry and say and think terrible things about people. And, and so our life really is very sinful. And and the worst sin, of course, for so much of humanity is, well, for all of us, because it's only because God calls us it's different. But we just reject God and we're just fully arrogant and we just think, oh, I'm master of my own universe. But God's remedy, and this is the good part of it, God's remedy is the cross. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sins. And the Bible says he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, or by his wounds you have been made whole. Wow, isn't that fantastic? And then, of course, Jesus rose again to life, so that we are able to rise in him to life. And what should our response be? It should be to receive Christ into our life. We come into God's family when we accept God's free gift of salvation. The Bible says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. What a great promise that is. So what do we need to do to to receive Christ? If I had to just say in one word, I'd just say believe. But but then we we need to admit we're a sinner. The problem I just come across so many times with people is they just don't realise uh, their sin. We need to be willing to turn away from our sins and to ask God for forgiveness and to believe that Christ died for us on the cross, taking the punishment for our sins. And we receive Christ into our heart and life And Romans 10, 13 says, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Friends, this day, if you have not already, this very day, right now, you can call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved because it is what Jesus Christ has done for us When he died on the cross and he took our sins upon himself, he took the punishment for our sins. He turned God's wrath away. He fulfilled the justice of God. And and through the act of Jesus, it's all from Jesus, we can this very day be saved. Please don't go away from here today and spend the rest of your life trying to be good enough with God. Because it's a pursuit that ends, you'll be away from God forever and ever. We can't make it. We can't deal with our own sin. Only God can do that. I'm just going to say this, a a brief prayer, asking God to come into our life. Now, I know that a lot of you have done it, but I'd I'd love hearing these prayers. I'd hear them 10 times a day. I just want to pray this. And you could pray it today. If you have not done this before, if you've come in here today struggling and you, you're just trying to earn your way to heaven, um, you, can, you can just pray this today. It's not about the words or getting it theologically right, It's your heart, so what, what's going on in, in your life. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins. And rose from the dead. I trust and follow you as my Lord and Saviour. Guide my life and help me to do your will. In your name I pray. Amen. Friends, it's that simple. If we actually just mean it with our heart, it's not getting words right. If we mean that in our heart, God just takes us unto Himself. If we call upon the name of the Lord, we shall be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you just so much. Oh, Lord, we we really truly are thankful and we are so humbled before you because, Lord, the human race is an arrogant race. We're, We're in sin. We're born in sin. And, Lord, thank you so much that in your love you called us to Christ. You called us into your family. You've put us here together and we have Jesus in our heart and in our life. Oh, Lord, thank you so much that we don't just have to live out tomorrow in just wondering what's going to happen because we know that our life is in your hands. We thank you so much. Oh, Father, if anyone here today has prayed this for the first time, we would be so thankful and grateful and we pray a a huge blessing upon them. Lord, we give you all the honour and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.